Welcome to the sauce. A little bit spicy. Sometimes a little bit sweet. You never know what bottle you're going to get. <laughs> but it is something you can never have enough of. I'm Vicky. I cook. She drinks. She is me. I'm Tash. I drink. And Vicky cooks. And we both talk a lot about food. Vicky runs Nourish Magazine, New Zealand's most read food publication. Really, it's the highest numbers. And Tash is the New Zealand's leading drinks writer, plus a whole swag more. <laughs> Pies, let me put my fingers in them. Together, we run the feed and bring you the source, relevant fresh bites, and takes on what's worth eating and drinking in Aotearoa, New Zealand. It's 2024 and we are back for your saucy sauce, spicy or sweet, maybe a little bit of both. I don't know, Vicky. How's 2024 treating you so far? So far, so good. What have you been snacking on? Well, actually, you know, it's that time of year you can't avoid the barbecue. Ah, uh, yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. I'm not a big barbecue fan. I can't see the point in, unless you're really going to commit and barbecue all year round. Like, I've got some really good equipment in the kitchen. Why do I need to replicate it outside? Right. So, you know, I'm the, and also I was thinking about this. I'm also that person. I don't like a crock pot. I don't like the prep. I want to cook straight. So, like, if I was going to get into barbecue, it would be the low and slow or the coals and all of that. But it's just not quick enough for me. Mm-hmm. I mean, plus, like, your outdoor, you know, area is, like, three steps from your kitchen anyway. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's my point. It's you just lugging stuff out. Right. Love it in. Yeah, yeah, to, fair enough. You know, but I don't get me wrong, love the flavor of a really good kind of charcoal y mm-hmm. cooked in the, you know, cooked in last week's crap. But, um, <laughs> but you know, that's the flavor of barbecue in New Zealand, really, isn't it? I just would really love you to tell me how you really feel about something one of these days. <laughs> no one cleans their barbecue properly. Like, no one cleans it after every, hardly anyone. You do, know you know who like, do, do you know who does clean their barbecue properly? Who? Distillers. Oh, okay. Right? So, number one rule of distilling. They pull the gin on. No, is that you have to clean your still after you use it, oh, okay. right? Otherwise, yeah, c- kind of crazy things happen. So anytime I've had distillers here, like, you know, barbecuing for me out there, they they know how to do a good burn off and they scrub it down. Or may- maybe it's just that one distiller. Yeah. Maybe it, okay, <laughs> you, gotta, you found that ADD yeah, yeah, yeah. distiller. <laughs> I think um, my, this is going to sound totally, totally sexist, but, you know, like majority of households, the men barbecue, right? Because they think it's really manly and they can do this kind of right. thing. One, no, they can't because they have no concept of cooking. If the only time they cook is on a barbecue, right? Take the tongs off them and give them a beer. Yeah, that's what I say because okay. they'll just fiddle, won't they? Oh, they'll the move endless, those steaks the meat around. The, the sausages are meat being flip. cooked at the same time as the steak. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. the idea of temperature, what's going on. No understanding because it's the only time they cook. Mm-hmm. And I'm using the word cook loosely here. The other reason, so if they don't normally cook, they don't really understand the the, the prep or the afterwork, which mm-hmm. is the cleaning up after you cook. Yeah. So and in it, the in the uh, in the ascending hierarchy of levels of cookery, what you're saying is if if you have not mastered the slow cooker or the induction stovetop, then you are not ready for solid fuel. Or well, I just uh, well for my heat. mine is as if yeah 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 I just I just think it's really interesting that people don't that don't normally cook or suddenly are expert barbecuers when mm. really that's mm-hmm. not the case. Anyway, so so there's my a whole lot of unpacking there of my barbecue biases. Yeah, <laughs> that's why chefs make great barbecuers, and you get those people that should have been chefs who get really into barbecuing because mm-hmm. they get into the science of it and yeah. all of that, and then they understand. Mm-hmm. 
that there's an element of cleanliness and hygiene and all sorts I mean, of for someone stuff. who doesn't like barbecuing, you've thought about this a lot. Well, I, yeah, it's, you know, it's in our DNA and everyone always wants to know why I don't barbecue much and all of that. Mm-hmm. It makes it, it can't be bothered with the flaff. Why do I have to clean that oven when I've got another oven to clean or another stove? Anyway, um, but I actually think that it's part of the flavour, especially if you cook on a gas barbecue, that it's, you know, it's kind of you. the only flavour you're getting is last week's marinade burning to give you that charcoal flavour, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Otherwise, there's no flavour. It's just gas. You've got gas hop inside, haven't you? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So anyway, I'll stop. I'll get off. I'll get off. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I'm a bit of a fan of – I'm frequently known to put a, uh, a tinfoil um, oh, uh, dish – of 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 chips, yeah, you know, and just to get a little bit of smoky something yeah, yeah. going on, you yeah. Know? But you see, you understand cooking and the science and the flavor of what you're doing, not just endlessly turning sausages and slapping some yeah, meat nah, on. Nah. So, but what? So what I but I, what I do like on a barbecue and mainly lobster. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go back a few episodes about my seafood <laughs> aversion. <laughs> no, it's vegetables. Oh, uh, yeah. Because, you know, at this time of the year, vegetables are so fresh and delicious and they don't actually need much prep. Mm-hmm. Actually, a lot of them are really delicious raw and stuff like that. So a bit of char on them yeah. is all you're really needing. So mm-hmm. I'm I'm a big fan of, you know, just chopping some capskins and zucchinis, asparagus, whatever you want, you know, and just getting them really just a bit of a char and a bit of a heat and then eating them. And yeah. It's really, you know – but you can olive oil, salt, lemon juice, whatever you can get a bit fancy, but even just that char is all you need to turn beautiful this time of the year vegetables that are everywhere. And suddenly people love vegetables, not a salad. We're all, you know, you get halfway through summer and everyone's over salads and stuff. Um, so, yeah, so I'm this time of the year at the moment, vegetables on the barbecue. Mm. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. What about you? Uh, well, you know, um, I feel bad confessing this. Um, I don't really. I don't really. I succumb to another TikTok recipe, Vicky. There's going to be therapy this year. <laughs> I don't know if it's for you or me. <laughs> okay, no. So here's the premise, right? So, so end of end of 2023 is like Thanksgiving in the United States, and you're right. I do. I'm American influenced. It's true. Um, and, you know, uh, mac and cheese, right, comes out to play. Because in the Northern Hemisphere, it's all wintry mm-hmm. mac and cheesy season. And I saw this twist on a mac and cheese, which included using gochujang, um, the Korean mm-hmm. red pepper sauce, sauce, barbecue sauce. And I was just like, that could be awesome. And so I didn't quite do like a full noise mac and cheese because that's a little much. It's summer after all. But there was a little bit of a rainy day and it was a little bit cold and I was just like, you know what, I'm just going to throw that in. So a few bow ties worth of pasta in the in the bowl and I had some really delicious um, fresh asparagus and so I char-grilled that, speaking of, you know, char mm-hmm. on your vegetables. Um, so I whipped together this quick little mac and cheese roux, put in some um, mozzarella and a little bit of cheddar that I had floating around with some gochujang and then I you know put my put my bow tie pasta in there and then I, I put my char-grilled asparagus on top and I'm just gonna tell you it was delicious <laughs> it was really delicious so I embrace my fusion mash up 
use every ingredient that's available to me way of thinking about food in my kitchen. Yeah. Because, hey, why not? Why not just be a little bit creative and have a little bit of fun? Anyway, it was delicious. I'm just saying, if you want to just slowly start introducing some delicious flavor to, you know, a little bit sweet, a little bit spicy, the vegetable is just delicious in that, not too saucy. You know, the key with the mac and cheese is that it's it's got to be not too oh. Cheesy, yeah. You know what I mean? I don't know. No, you don't want it. The mac and cheese. You don't want it to be so. Che- you don't want it to be so cheesy that it's stodgy. But you also need to get the balance of flour and fat in your roux correct, so that it doesn't go over the top. My mac and cheese trick is the well, water. So I always make mac and cheese on on mass. Yeah, of then, course. And yeah. then freeze it. Yeah, of course. Hence the eating. Do you the label it in the freezer? <laughs> Well, <laughs> or is it like the Boccaccini Noki? <laughs> yeah, if it's covered so you can't see what's inside, I'll label it because, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's, but yeah, okay. So labeled mac and cheese. But what I do is I always top my mac and cheese with a breadcrumb mm. crunch. Yes. See? And the best way to do that is you, is you put in your food processor your stale bread that you're trying to use up or that yeah. you have, you know, crusts or whatever that you put in the freezer because you don't want to throw them away because food mm-hmm. waste is this in. And Just then, in case you're wondering, audience, that was in fact a humble flex on the homemade breadcrumbs. <laughs> humble flex. <laughs> and then I chuck in with the breadcrumbs some parsley, but usually a chunks of brie. Ooh. And then it just gets all in there. And yeah. so then, then if you haven't got brie or that's like a savory crumble yeah that it you've is made. that's exactly what it is because yeah. it, it came from the days where you'd put ch- chilled butter and mm. and to make that yep. crumble so that yep. it actually crisps up otherwise yeah. you just get dry breadcrumbs yeah yeah so yeah. you put in so if you don't have the cheese or you don't want to have the calories of the cheese i don't know why you wouldn't but anyway <laughs> it's mac and cheese after all you you can just put chilled butter in there and then it gives your crumbs this beautiful delicious brown crunchiness but yeah you just chuck this debris in and then and then when you t- when you bake the macaroni cheese you get this most amazing it doesn't it just it's just a topping it's just yeah. the best ever so I this takes me on another food tangent because why not um to the deliciousness that is the seasoned breadcrumb like that Italian kind of like if, so uh, oregano and sage out of my garden um basil if I have it but I've usually got better things to do with basil um uh, a bit of parsley for sure and some fresh chili yeah finely chopped into that seasoned breadcrumb with olive oil on top of any, anything, pasta, the plain pasta. Well, uh, uh, basically, a seasoned um, breadcrumb was the Italian peasants' form of that they didn't have cheese. Yeah. Yeah. So if they didn't have cheese and they couldn't put parmesan on top or whatever because they couldn't afford it or they didn't have it, that seasoned mm-hmm. par- um, breadcrumb does the same thing. I also think it also does things like you forget that there might not be meat in there. Yeah, because it's going to give you some different textures and all sorts of things like that. So it's a really great tool to use if you if you're stretching or you've just got very um, simplistic flavors going on to add yep. that element mm-hmm. of deliciousness. And it is in fact my preferred option in a Caesar or actually any salad rather than a crouton. Oh, okay. Season no breadcrumb. Oh, it's it's awesome. It's so good. Mm. It's so good. Yeah. Anyway, I mean, I could digress into a thousand things now. Have you heard about the roasted cabbage Caesar? Oh, no, don't. Please. Really? It's 
it's outstanding. Roast your cabbage in a wedge. Yeah, that I that I understand. Then and I could get on board. Right. Then like a homemade Caesar dressing, proper, proper. Yeah. Okay. Revelatory. Maybe. maybe. Revelatory. Maybe. But don't call it a Caesar salad. I have these problems. Well, it's a Caesar dressing, right? Yeah, okay. Yeah. All right. All right. All right. Mm-hmm. TikTok. Put it on TikTok, mm-hmm. see if it flies. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, there's a okay. whole lot of conversation in there about food waste, about Korean influence, sources, all sorts of stuff that I want to um, unpack when I, we talk about food trends that are coming up. Wait. But more importantly. Are you suggesting I'm on trend? Well, we'll, 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 we'll just see. Probably okay, okay. more so than me because you spend more time. I'm excited now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but to get us get us through, what are we drinking? Ah, okay. Well, I have been drinking a number of things recently. It goes unsaid, doesn't it? Well, it's part of the job. Yeah, I it get is it. I get part it. Part of the job. Um, so one of the things I've been drinking recently is the Broken Heart Gin. The Broken Heart Gin, which comes in a pouch. A pouch. Yeah, like so, a squeezy for little kids. Hmm. Yeah. So you could you just take it on picnic and have a little swig, like you give a two-year-old? Yeah, yeah. Okay. Hold on. <laughs> hold on, hold on. We're going to the front room. Oh, like, no, that's a lot bigger um, here we squeezy go. pouch than what I would yeah. give a two-year-old. Yep. <laughs> um, not that hashtag drink responsibly, www.cheers.org.nz, but um, a perfect squeezy pouch that does fit a straw. If you oh, require it. Yeah, because I was going to say, because if you tip that, it's quite likely to come out in a ruddy blush. Um, well, it's actually not too bad. So let me tell you what this, so it's the first gin in a 100% recyclable. So this is recyclable soft plastics. Um, and it is uh, all designed by the team down at Broken Heart. Um, it is, uh, I will disclaim, they did send this to me because mm-hmm. they were excited about it. Hashtag gifted. Hashtag gifted. Um <laughs> Do you have to use Do you have to use hashtag on a podcast? But um, I do all day. Yeah, because we're um, on trend. Okay, we're on trend. <laughs> anyway, or it would have been Ephesus nineteen twenty two. I mean, so, oh, yeah. I've been so I have been drinking this um, because I think it's a really cool idea. Yeah. Not always with a straw, um, but I think it's a really cool Pretty idea. straw. I think it's a really really cool idea um, to encourage people to buy a one time forever bottle, and then you can actually just purchase these yes. refills, which are way cheaper to chip. Way cheaper cheap. to chip. <laughs> She's already got in. My lips are blurred. <laughs> My lips are blurred. What can I say? <laughs> um, uh, but yeah, so way way cheaper to ship, and a hundred percent recyclable. And yeah, yeah, I've fantastic. Little, just, I mean, I do. I I appreciate the efforts and the. Um, you know the probably the integrity behind it and everything. My biggest problem would be for someone who gets a lot of soft plastic because magazines get delivered mm-hmm. wrapped in soft plastic and all sorts of stuff. That's really hard to recycle in New Zealand when a glass bottle is picked up at curbside. But the question is actually which is most likely to get recycled well that would be my question because who who goes to Woolworths and drops off their soft plastic well so one of the things that I mean it depends on how devoted you are right I'm pretty committed to the cause so I do but you can also go to recycling.kiwi.nz to see where all your options are for returning your soft plastics um but 
there are lots of problems with recycling in New Zealand. Oh, of course, all plastics, right? glass, tins, Across everything. everything. And in fact, we're going to be talking to Brianne West coming up, who is kind of a proponent of eliminating plastics mm. um, and unpacking so- just some of exactly how complicated, you know, it can be. Well, that was kind of my question. Isn't glass infinitely recyclable? It is, but, but if the option is... Yes, it's infinitely recyclable, but it doesn't get shipped anywhere to be recycled and ends up going to landfill yeah, anyway. Well, that would be my question with soft plastics as well. I mean, like, yeah, the thing is that all of these questions are questions that everyone and unfortunately the people who are trying to do the best thing are all trying to grapple with when really it's probably it should be above them that someone is grappling with. Oh, totally. Problem. Like if we're going to have a minister for hospitality, we probably also oh, need to have a minister for recycling and yeah. sustainability yeah. but um be- anyway, because we had the original so- question what are you drinking <laughs> well it's going to be a question today of what are we drinking because seeing as the uh seeing as the red bull apricot and strawberry didn't go down so well last time i thought well we'd try a different avenue and this beautiful bottle of uh, Brown Brothers Moscato, Strawberries and Cream, limited edition, uh, was sent to me by their lovely team. So thanks for that, guys. Um, But I thought, oh, I know someone who's a bit of a fan of the odd Moscato. Um, And I too, I think uh, sweeter wines or sweeter grapes have often got a bit of a derision in New Zealand, you know. People look at a Gewürztraminer as being a bit like, oh, what is that? Or, um, you know, they know Riesling as being sweet versus dry. I'm a huge fan of looking at some of those great varieties and really exploring them and understanding them. So I thought, well, why not? Here we go. A little bit of Moscato. Yeah, I I like Moscato because when you really want something, I mean, it, it, you know, that sort of sparkly kind of light at this time of the year. But you also can drink a couple of glasses without getting pink cheeks. So Moscato, what are your thoughts? I'm a bit of a fan of Moscato, um, especially at this time of the year, when you're wanting something sort of refreshing to start with, Or, but, you know, you don't really want to get that pink cheek look before dinner, <laughs> still got to cook, right? dust up the barbecue kind of thing, and it's because it's only 8%. Yeah. So it's I quite like that. Well, it has to be only 8% because it's pretty easy to drink, isn't it? So, um, yeah, bit of a fan. Um, not too sure about, you know, it's like the apricot Red Bull, not that I'm drinking normal Red Bull. Why do they have to play? Why do they have to add shit in? Well, if I want strawberries in my Moscato, it's summertime. I can add a strawberry. <laughs> but do you know what the problem is there? We're the problem. I'm just a whinger. Uh, that's not what I said, Vicky. Um, but, no, I think consumers are the problem. Right. Mm-hmm. So there's so much competition for shelf space and for attention that in the same way that so many gin companies release new versions, new seasons, new whatever every yeah. season, it's all about trying to get consumer attention into something new and consumers are so into the new. But I mean, I guess the thing <laughs> Man over <laughs> Managed to just uh, drop That's some how wine I got on my myself. Through my university days, spilled most of my alcohol. <laughs> um, I don't even know what happened. Uh, uh, well, you know, we can edit that in post. Um, but I think one of the things that's, that's also interesting is that you never know, was this something interesting that actually happened in the production process? And they went, oh, okay, we're going to make something of this. Oh, they dropped some strawberries in the bag. Yeah. Or was it an experiment and, you know, people... I, I personally think, 
yeah, that that's probably from a big company like um, Brown Brothers or something like that. They they want something to lead the season with something new to get them, you know, mm. and bring people back to buying. Oh, I love Blue Brother, you know, Brown Brothers X Y Z sort of thing. But I just kind of like, why mess with it? Why not just do something really well and keep doing it really well? Like I just this just to me is just flaff and. See, I actually think I I I quite like it. I'm going to go controversially here. Like, do I think it have? I do agree it could have slightly more fizz to it. It could have slightly more bubble, but definitely is more bubble. Uh, but if I am somebody who's trying to convert prosecco drinkers into something else, and those prosecco drinkers who like something on the sweeter side, do you I think could prosecco drinkers only only just become prosecco drinkers because of aperol? They, you know. Four years ago in New Zealand, if you said Prosecco to someone, they'd go, who? Uh, no, I think I have a I, – I, I, blame, I blame Tesco's in the UK yeah. for making cheap, cheap. Italian Prosecco mm. available at, like, mm. you know, eight quid a bottle. Mm. And then all of the Kiwis who have come home on their OE, uh, from their OE, or come home because of COVID, that's what I blame on driving well, it up. Used to, or, yeah, possibly the case. You always used to drink Prosecco in the UK. It wasn't always cheap, though. It was actually quite a refined – it was was up there with some of the lower champagnes. Mm. Because I remember – um, in the Notting Hill days when I managed a restaurant there, we were Bellini, we'd sell Bellinis out your, you know, and that was always Prosecco mm. and it would just fly. And it was the best way to make a whole lot of money if you cross your bar because yep. very little went into them um, and any silly fool could make it. And But Prosecco was, was hot mm. and that's a long time ago. Yeah, well, I just think you know. I, I mean, there's lots of different things that drive it. I don't, has has the apérol spritz really taken off so far and so overwhelmingly that it could drive a whole segment forward? Yeah, you think? Yeah, you you go to um, places that sell apérol, and that's that's right by the prosecco. That's the prosecco section. Mm, I mm. would say sixty to seventy percent of the people buying. Prosecco. See, because I'm still in the camp that's just going. There's not enough people drinking apérol. Oh, there's not enough people. There is. There, I, oh, there's, there's not. I mean, like, it's not like more. It's we not need like, more. It's more, not like more. Sicily, where you get a market at nine o'clock in the morning and you can get an apérol. Yeah, that was pretty cool. Um, right, <laughs> right there in the market. Yeah, five euros. Get your apérol. Totally. I think it was even three euros oh, in the market. You know, delicious. It's pretty hard to get okay. through the day. So what we're saying is, um, the prosecco trend is not yet done. Um, yeah, I think I think I think the other thing is from a this to me, like as I said, it's an easy drink, it's low alcohol, it's kind of hits those marks, but there's not a lot to it in complexity or uh, delicious. You know what I mean? No, you're not going to drink. You're not going to go back. I'm not. Oh, I'm not going back. Um, and going. Oh, you have to have. There's nothing special that special about it. Do you think? But don't you think that's? I mean, that, that's a really valid segment, though. I think like this as like so who's going to drink that. Oh, I think that's something that you take to a, an afternoon barbecue. You go, oh yeah, cool. Oh, Baby I'll shower, give you this whatever. So I can drink some better stuff that you guys have got. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. No, I, I'm, I would. The, I would the genuine Moscato. I'm full yeah. on board. Just don't add strawberries and such cream a purist. and kiwi fruit and yeah. Jehovah or whatever. <laughs> 
I don't know anyone who's adding a hobo to, to their Moscato. Oh. And with that, and with that, it's time for the spicy sauce. Uh, Vicky, what have you got for us? So you heard it here first. Yeah. Jojoba in Moscato. I know, but seriously, <clears throat> it's at this time of the year, well, that I start reading endless reports from endless food companies and all sorts of people trying to predict what the big food trends of 2024 are going to be. Okay, I'm so, ready. Yeah, are you ready? I mean, I there's heaps. So. There's heaps, and a lot of them are themes that have kind of rolled around every year or just continuations of what we, if any silly fool could probably go, oh, that's going to be more of. Um, I think putting my cynical cap on and our online editor, David. I'd like to know when you take it off. (laughs) Thanks. Um, No, it's good. It's good. There's there's an element of um, predictions being made in the hope that they will come true because there's some big food companies that have invested a lot of money in a few things and they want it to be a trend Mm because they've got an invested interest and let's face it our food chains and what have you are quite well entrenched with big large companies wanting to do things obviously tiktok has caused a bit of chaos for them because trends come and go and they're not quick enough to flex yeah yeah so that's kind of been a big disruptor in the last year or two not that it's disrupted my life much <laughs> let's not <laughs> let's not forget the great sriracha debacle <laughs> um Yeah, and I think the other problem here sitting at the bottom of the world is a lot of these trends and um, companies are really talking about big markets that they really need to work or not work. And so we're talking about the US market. Um, Whole Foods is the one that does the big predictions in the US and um, a lot of what they predict is for the US market and it's either – um, never going to make it to us or we're already there. That's kind of mm. a little bit different. And the other one is the British or the European market. And again, quite quite different markets to us. So it's interesting to say what they've, what they've, what's coming through. And really when we do predictions, is it, it, there's a couple of questions. Is it going to actually make it? Is it going to continue to be a strong enough trend that it makes it to us? Mm-hmm. And the other one is, is it relevant to us? Like right. is it? You know, like so. We, so we're just talking about um, Asian-influenced foods and things like that. That seems to be a really strong, strong trend that happens to be going through um, the US and Europe. When New Zealand foods already been influenced by a lot of those flavors already, so I kind of feel like they're there. Other than the Korean flavors, that's mm-hmm. kind of the last bastion of Asian flavors that kind of haven't hit massively in New Zealand, but we're already seeing it. Yeah. Um, that will be the last one, but yeah, I think Swicy is a good example of this. Go on, Swicy. Um, so they're saying um, sweet and spicy. So you like the ha- the chili honeys? Oh, okay. Yeah, hot honeys. Yeah, yep. hot honeys and stuff like that. There's a really cool company in New Zealand that's been doing it for a couple of years. What are they called? I want to say Beast. Sweet Sting. Sweet Sting. Yep. Great. Awesome. Yeah. Um. So, but that is a flavor that that. Asian flavor is in a, in a lot of Asian flavors, I mean, isn't it? Like, like sweet sweet chili sauce. Yeah, right. Yeah, in everyone's <laughs> cupboard in New Zealand since nineteen ninety two. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Trident. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's still the best one, don't you think? Oh, it's pretty good. <laughs> it's pretty good. <laughs> yeah. Um. Yeah. So I think that we've got to put that lens on it. That there, those flavors are actually quite unique in America, or and even in the UK, and, and definitely in Europe. 
yeah definitely in europe you know um so yeah so i think that uh we talked about tiktok and the smash up smash ups card crashes whatever you want to call them uh-huh tasha's kitchen <laughs> on a thursday night I mean, it's not every night of the week, but yeah, sometimes Thursdays. That's what I'm saying. So, <laughs> skillet, meatloaf, hamburger. <laughs> Here yeah. we come. Yeah, yeah. Okay, Big Mac tacos. Yeah. So, what you're saying is, I'm on trend. Yeah. Well, yeah. I'm ahead of trend, yeah. even. Well, apparently. you're more on trend than I am. And talking about that, you'll be the one to tell us about the drinks trends. Okay. I heard that ice is still going to be hot. Not literally. Because <laughs> then it's. Yeah. Not ice. Then it's just water. But anyway. Okay. Uh, ice is hot. Tell me. Tell me more. What's the prediction? Well, that it's just going to keep getting hotter. That this expensive ice in your cocktail. Oh, you mean like custom ice? Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. custom Do you ice. Think? I mean, it's not going to go away because the milk punch isn't going to go away anytime soon. All right. So. I've already lost milk punch. Ah, okay. <laughs> So so the biggest trend in drinks for the last, I would say, solidly the last probably seven to eight years has been clarified clarified drinks. So you make a drink uh, and it might have uh, ingredients that are cloudy or have natural fruit components to them or what have you, but they get served to you and they are crystal clear. We're talking sparkling it's deliciousness. Like making a consomme. Like making a consomme. So you clarify the cocktail and it's called a milk punch. So you use milk to do it. Oh, okay. So the whole milk punch, I was thinking I was getting like a... A milky, punchy yeah, drink? Yeah. <laughs> I was back to Baileys and milk. And- <laughs> no, no, no. No, that's part of what's so hilarious about it is that you put milk punch on a menu and people go, what are you talking about? And then it turns up and it's crystal clear clarified. Uh-huh. Uh, I mean, you know, big component, big proponents of the milk punch here have been uh, bartenders like um, Barney Toy, Phil Spector, Darren Mines, um, Theo from Panacea in Auckland, um, Clipper... Their whole menu is basically how do you make banging flavour but in crystal clear beautiful drinks. Um, There's a bar in the UK, um, uh, well, multiple bars that have really made a name for themselves doing this clarified uh, clarified drinks, milk punches. In order for that milk punch to look spectacular when you put it in a glass – you can't have then cloudy no. regular bar ice, right? So so custom ice or big large format mm-hmm. crystal clear ice is here with us for as long as the milk punch is with us. The stamp mould, that's just a way of making it kind of iconic. Yeah. But you can order them yourself from Timu, guys. Yeah, no, we're not we're not promoting buying Chinese crap from Timu. But um the the big large format ice though is another thing is it it gives you that chill without the dilution yeah. as well isn't it yeah it's totally that whole you know mm-hmm. you actually do want ice in your drinks for it to be cold that whole I don't want ice in my whatever you're drinking are you actually losing an experience? you're still you're still getting a sixty mil pour no matter yeah, what yeah, happens exactly. you're not going to get think, more drink yeah yeah, yeah. I've, I've, that fascinates me that theory um the other one that I I read was um like sort of a savory flavors in cocktails like tomato martini oh yeah see now again this is an interesting one where I'm like it depends on where you're drinking because you know I Meadow Street I uh, I I drank a, tom- a tomato martini a couple of years ago. Okay. So yeah, I well, mean, I mean that's what food trends aren't necessarily that this is brand new. It's mm-hmm. that it's going to become mainstream or seen more of. For it to be a trend, it has to have actually 
happened and be around. And yeah, it, yeah. And so that's that's where I think definitely savoury flavours are on the rise. So we've seen a raft of savoury gins come to the market. We're seeing more interesting botanical spirits, right? So we're rather than rum just being spiced, you know, it's got more botanical components that are earthy or savoury. So yeah, I think savoury savory flavours in drinks is definitely going to transpire into mainstream in the next 12 months for sure. Okay, well, we'll watch this space because, yeah. Um, the other one, the other two, and these are, again, uh, the trends, so the vegan thing, they're still harping on about mm-hmm. vegans being the saviors of the world. Mm-hmm. Um, the sheer fact of it is is that it's not taken. Yeah. We just recently found out, what was it, 1% of New Zealanders are vegans? Yeah, something like that. And it's only like 3% of... Three percent of people are true vegetarians, even. Oh, really? Yeah, we've got a ton of, um, we've got a ton of pescatarians. Yeah, I always found that interesting that someone's not willing to eat meat that's been killed humanely, but they're willing to eat a fish that's been dragged by a hook from its mouth through the water or died suffocated in a net somewhere. Yeah, sorry, or, you know, pillaging our oceans. Yeah. Anyway, moving on from <laughs> more, those such controversial. Tones. The prediction, though, is, and I think this is a really sensible prediction, in that I think this is the whole vegan argument that people probably do want to eat less animal products, and it's probably a very valid thing for us to all be looking at and thinking of. But the prediction is that this vegan food is going to be made from bum bum vegetables. What? <laughs> Isn't that weird? Wait. You mean you mean uh, no more no more modified soy products no more I just like wheat oh, this based is substitutes. Welcome news to me because you know for years been happening on about you know the the worst thing to happen to human nutrition is food production right manufacturing yeah. industrialized food production uh, yeah. for sure and that you know if you if you ever get nutritional advice from anyone that's worth their salt they're gonna say eat real food mm-hmm. it's the first step. Eat real food. If it comes in a packet, avoid it. Eat real food and you'll probably be home and host. So our answer to the problems of the world was to make more food in packets. <clears throat> Which helps neither the world nor human beings. Yeah, No. So I think finally some common sense is prevailing here mm-hmm. and that, that hopefully we may get more vegans if they're actually eating real food. And then maybe we won't get vegans, but the food on offer, which happens to be vegan, is more appealing to people that all eat meat or will eat fish. Because mm. I'm, I'm, I'm open to eating vegan food. You know, food, it's just food. Yeah. If, if it's food, I'm open to it. Mm-hmm. The problem is if it's not food in my classification of food. Right. Okay. Yeah, no, yeah. fair enough. Yeah. Totally. So, so anyway, so we'll we'll watch this space with interest. So that leads you to the probably the the really food trend that just keeps coming, and it's not a food trend; it's a trend of life, really, isn't it? Oh yeah, it's about sustainability. Yes. So, so that's the vegan movement is really sustainability in the food and how we can do it more. But what um. What they're talking more about and what companies are cottoning on to is what food they're wasting mm. that could be eaten. Yeah. 
So, you know, we can all do this in our own homes, but there's a lot of people who are switching on and working out that they can be a lot more sustainable and actually make a lot more money if they didn't throw that waste out. They actually turned it into something. Uh, The key to solving every problem is to get the capitalists onto it. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) That's exactly it. That's exactly it. So, So with that, cacao pulp is supposedly the next big thing. So that's if you've ever seen you open up a cacao cocoon not what do you call those things a pod is it a pod or is it yeah okay yeah pod yeah the beans that you eventually turn into chocolate are covered in like a gooey delicious juicy pulp so you can if you ever get to do it and get one in real life you can suck that stuff off it's kind of quite um it's like a sort of tropical fruity kind of thing texture of uh just Slime? Aloe vera. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. Okay. Maybe, uh, I'm trying to think of a fruit that's kind of like it. But, yeah, kind of that sort of membrane-y kind of mm-hmm. gooey that you'd suck okay. it off. Um, so, <laughs> that, so apparently, <laughs> moving on, apparently <laughs> Cadbury have been using it in their um, chocolate as a natural sweetener since 2019. Cadbury have wow yeah. okay oh no Nestle sorry wrong okay. company the other the other one okay the other Nestle. I mean yeah and so again vested interest cacao pulp yeah is wow. going to be the next big thing because Nestle are onto it yeah there we go so anyway so that's a cacao pulp it'll be interesting to see how long it takes to get to New Zealand mm. um and then offal I sure okay we've heard it before. I mean, I thought we were already eating nose to tail if we ate noses or tails. No, I think you still find that this is like the vegan beat up. Okay. You know? So just as there's not that many vegans, yeah, there's not many nose to tail eaters. Right. We're still the chicken that, breast and the sirloin steak eaters. Is that though is that the is that the big business problem? And it's not not really a big business problem. It's a it's a distribution system and a you know, there's there's lots of issues that factor into most people if they're only able to shop at a supermarket for their animal proteins, there's not a lot of offal on offer at the supermarket. And so is that the is that the consumer issue? Is that the what what sales issue? I think you find there's a there's a combination of that. I think you'll find that most supermarkets don't have offal because they aren't butchers. Right. They just order in the meat that they're going to sell. Yeah. Um. And so if their demographic won't eat offal, they're not going to order it in. Yeah. They're not butchers. They haven't got whole beef, so they haven't got kidneys and livers and yeah. Well, you know, fair that point. When's the last of? When's the last time you actually saw a steak and kidney pie? Yeah. But see, like my super, my local supermarket, there are, it's quite diverse in its patronage. So you can get chicken feet, you can get chicken livers, you can get all those because that the people that shop there mm. actually enjoy those that sort of awful, yeah. you know. Okay. Um, but they'd be bringing it in; they're not butchering it themselves. Yeah, yeah. sort of thing. Um, and I think I having talked to quite a few butchers in previous in quite a few years, you know, it's um. A lot of that offal is shipped to countries that will eat it. It's not thrown away mm. anyway. Um, and so what's going to happen is, because if you've ever had really amazing offal, it's always been at a chef's. And what's the only, and for me, I think offal is like the rosé 
you know, wine. Like my whole entire career, I've been told that rosé is the next hot wine. Mm -hmm. And that's just winemakers wanting you to drink rosé. Right. And so it's kind of like when I said offal was the next hut and you rolled your eyes at me. Well, they want it to be the case. Yeah. But I think if it, if you really want offal to take off, it, you you can see the trends before. Lamb shanks used to be as cheap as chips until they were on menus and now they're too expensive for chefs to have them on the menu. Mm. Right? What's the other one? Beef cheek? Yeah. I remember the first time I made a beef cheek recipe for Narish and the butchers nearly killed me because they one butcher said to me, do you know how many beef cheek zeros on one cow, Vicky? <laughs> two. Like, two. Like, yeah. <laughs> and we had 20 people in today wanting beef cheeks. <laughs> so, you know, and beef cheeks became hot because mm. they were cheap. They For us, you know, there was a period there yeah. where they couldn't get them anywhere. So chefs saw they were cheap, started making them amazing. Um, lamb cheeks, beef cheeks. So offal will be the, that's the only way to get offal cool is for chefs to show you what to do with it. Mm. And then it'll be sparkling rosé. <laughs> sparkling kidneys, anyone? <laughs> hmm. Okay. So anyway, still um, you can read the whole um, 2024 predictions on the feed and give us your two cents worth because we'd love to know. I mean, you are two for two. Uh, last year was it you predicted potato milk and sure enough potato milk be- became a thing i know i that spudlicious latte that you get at every cafe <laughs> <laughs> so you know what milk it is this year yeah camel milk no and that's not coming out of australia either so i don't know what camels we were milking all these camels okay starbucks will have camel milk unbelievable mm. i mean wouldn't it be watery? Well, apparently it's e- more easily digestible for humans. I don't know how many humans have tested that. Um, okay. Right. <laughs> how can it possibly be? Are they milking them in Egypt? Where, how can it possibly be sustainable? Well, you know what it make- is? Dubai no longer can, can ship your oil because it's <laughs> not PC. <laughs> They're going to sell, start selling the world camel milk. Okay. Oh, my goodness. Uh, well, I can't think of anybody better for us to have this conversation with than Brienne West. Um, so she is, has been on a mission to remove plastic from a number of different spaces. So first it was beauty products. So she's the founder of Etique. Um, and I think that it's kind of amazing that uh, that she's t- uh, from from Etique. She's now turned her um, sort of vision for removing plastic to one of the other like massive producers of plastic bottles, which is the drinks industry, mm-hmm. particularly soda. So imagine if I told you that soon, ish, <laughs> we'll be we'll be able to. Um, Instead of uh, cracking open a plastic bottle of your favourite fizzy soda, you'll be able to pour a glass of water cold out of the fridge and add an incredible to it, and it's going to make your soda fizzy and also delicious and no plastic involved whatsoever. I think that's a game changer because this whole soda stream machines everywhere Mm-hmm. Yes, I mean my soda sh- machine is now defunct because they changed the gas bottles on you. Yeah. So here's this plastic machine that I bought so that I didn't have to buy soda bottles. Right. You know, N- landfill. Mm-hmm. What, can, what do I do with it? 
yeah sort of thing i tell you it was always a flaff to get it out you know Mm -hmm. and things like that so yeah i i'm excited (laughs) well let's hear what she's got to say so welcome Brienne West. Uh, thank you so much for joining us. I'm so, so interested in the journey that you took to begin Incredibles. And so I'd like to start there. Um, obviously, if for people who don't know your background and what is wrong with them if they don't, um, but you, you've you've made a mark for yourself as somebody who um, who brings together a, a real purpose-driven approach to sustainability and reducing environmental impact alongside a really strong entrepreneurial and creative streak in the business space. Um, you've been awarded, you know, multiple accolades in terms of uh, in terms of both well the Young Entrepreneur of the Year award and you know various things like that so so you've been though primarily or previously um in the beauty space is really where you've made your mark why move into food even though it's kind of actually well I guess it's a bit of a full circle because one of your first businesses was food related as well so you've come back tell us why how did you land here um you know it's the first time we've been asked that question and I don't have an answer for you, really. Um, I never set out specifically to create a drinks company or to enter the food and beverage world. It's just this seemed like an obvious solution to a plastic bottle problem. And obviously, I'm a one-trick pony. I only seem to focus on plastic bottles. So that seemed to just flow from there. I mean, this was an idea I had years and years ago. And I just I just wanted to fix it. And obviously, it took a, it took a long time to... Um, to sort of secession by way out of a teak, if you like. And um, yeah, well, it kind of just grew really organically and really bizarrely and just slowly choking. Sorry. I blame my mother for infecting me with the thing that's going around. Oh. And um, yeah, I, I started exploring, started talking to a whole bunch of effervescent factories and they were like, nah, this isn't possible. In fairness to them, I was emailing them crazy things that were physically impossible. And being like, but why? Can't we just do that? And they're like, no, this is actually one of those occasions where no is the answer. No. And um, eventually I found, uh, after a bit of Googling and a bit of talking to a bunch of people, found someone who could do a effervescent tablet that would work in a home possible packaging. And, and that was when it became a real business, if you like, uh, earlier this year. But it was never intentional. Mm. Obviously, everybody drinks, so you could argue that it's it's one of the best industries to try and have an impact on. And the more I learn about the waste and the sustainability and um, sustainability issues within the industry, the, the more horrifying it gets. But every industry has issues. Uh, the, I'm a bit of a drinks nerd. That is my space. Uh, but for everyone else, give us the breakdown of what and what the Incredibles product is and how the business is shaping up. Okay, so we have very early stage. We don't launch till April, and I don't necessarily have the answers to everybody's questions. Things like price, I don't know yet. Still working on it. Um, I have an inkling. Anyway, so Incredibles is the idea that instead of buying a, a I don't know, a bottle of sports drink or a bottle of cordial, you would uh, drop a an incredible ball or tab. We're still working on, you know, because tab sounds like drug, tablet sounds like pharmaceutical drug, bomb, not a fan. Anyway, so we're still working on the vernacular. Um, so you drop a tab into a glass of water or a glass of champagne or a glass of soda water and then you have something like a black currant or a cola or whatever but I may have accidentally just given away two of our flavors there whoops yeah so it's the idea that instead of buying something that is you know if in the case of a diet drink it can be about 95 percent water potentially higher 
you don't buy the water concept and therefore the plastic bottle. You just buy the flavor, the flavor capsule. It's it's the same as a, as a concentrate, as a cordial, sorry, but it's just taken one step further, if you like. I, I saw on your um, recent and highly addictive TikTok channel that you were recently overseas in the UK working with uh, some flavor house, with a flavor house. Now, something that many people won't know is that actually the UK uh, uh, sport um, they they are home to some of the best flavor houses in the world. Um, which is uh, is really remarkable. And a lot of people don't necessarily understand how flavor houses work, but actually that they are deeply entrenched in many of the products that you see on your supermarket shelf, your retail shelf. You know, if you're remotely into the RTD space, they are all over. But what are some of the challenges that you've faced in working with a flavor house and working with what will and won't work in this space in terms of, say, you know, even the decision to go with a tablet or, you know, ball, a dry concentrate, Versus, say, like a serum drop or a, you know, what are the challenges? How are you tackling them? What is there still to learn in this space? There's still a bunch more to learn. So caveat there. Uh, Having a tablet or making a tablet, there's a reason people don't typically do it. The reason that you see, um, so you dry concentrate drinks on the market are typically powders. Mm. That's for a multitude of reasons. So when you compress a tablet, you've got issues with compression. You've got to make sure the materials in your tablet can be compressed. But then the biggest one is that they're hygroscopic, which means they absorb water from the, the environment around them. This is fine, or mostly fine, in tablets like Barocca, which are packaged in a sealed plastic tube. It is less fine in an incredible, which is going to be in a home compostable, effectively a cardboard box. So we've got some real limitations with, um, so it's just, it's limited the amount of like fresh fruit powders and things we can use. And whilst we'll still use them, it won't be to the extent, although to be fair, they don't actually have nutritional benefit at all, regardless of what other drinks brands will tell you or, or, or whatever. Um, at this, at the amount that goes into a drink, they just don't, as you are more than aware. Um, so we've, we've got a, We've got to balance things like compression and the ability to absorb water, but also flavor, obviously. Mm. Now, there are, I mean, I've only been doing this for a short while now, but the difference in quality between the flavor houses is astonishing. Because the other uh, the other limiting factor we've had is I've said out of, because it'll be what, what's, what our customers want, is that our flavors and colors must all be um, 100% natural. Mm-hmm. They also must be sustainable. And those things are often mutually exclusive, which is something people don't necessarily think follows. But something made in a lab typically tends to use res- less resources than something that is grown in a field, mm-hmm. which makes sense when you think about it like that. So we've got all these limita- uh, limiting factors. And, and then we've got the manufacturing limiting factors. And it has been a nightmare, if I'm perfectly honest. Sure, like it yes. Has, it has sucked. I'm sick of drinking things out of little cups. Mm-hmm. But I am really pleased. Um, we've managed to, that's why we've got down to eight flavors. Because the other thing, of course, is the sweetener. And what people don't understand is the sweetness of a drink has all of the impact on the flavor. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. again, you'll see this in, in other things you consume. So we've been exploring stevia, which sucks. As, as sweeteners go, I'm so not a fan. It's so bitter. And whilst there have been improvements in the stevia manufacturing world, it's still a bit shit. Mm. And uh, so like, so we, we're trying to work on a pink lemonade. Oh, I guess you give me a flavor. I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> you hear it here first. Um, uh, so we've been trying to work on a pink lemonade and I just can't get past the taste of aspirin. Yes. It's yeah. like the bone tumor as a kid. 
hours as a teenager. And um, for the three years while they told me it was in my head, sour point. Mm. Um, for the three years they told me that he'd, I, I took a lot of painkillers and a lot of I couldn't take pills either. I was a very strange child. So I, took, I drank a lot of uh, dispersible aspirin. So I'm probably more attuned to it and aware of it than your average person. But the the taste of lemon and stevia is so bitter and gives you that immediate aspirin flashback that I really don't want. So flavors have been incredibly difficult. Flavor houses, I think they've been great to work with by and large. Mm. But, you know, quantities, the fact that they want to mix things up specifically for you, which is wonderful, uh, and and that's great. But but the MLQs, the lead times can be challenging. Mm. But the biggest issue is the more um, the more delicious the flavors get, you know, they go from sort of, let's say, 50 bucks a kg, just sort of, I think it's 50 pound a kg, to uh, more like 250 pound a kg. And whilst it's not a lot in each individual tablet, you cost six goods going. And I want this to be a mass mainstream product that's accessible to as many people as possible with all these ethics mm-hmm. built in. That is no mean feat. Okay, so I am an unashamed fangirl. I'm not, you know, I just think what Brienne is doing is is so interesting and um, and phenomenally game-changing, particularly in the drinks industry. Um, but what did you think? What stood out to you? Oh, I agree. I, I mean, you know, I really admire people like her that have a vision and think outside the box instead of just trying to reshape what already exists and mm. actually do something completely different. Um, love it, love it. Um, yeah, it, it's going to be interesting because really, unfortunately, no matter how good sustainable, you know, we talk about, we talked about it with gin in the pouch and things like that, it's going to come down to the flavour. Yeah. isn't it yeah that she's gonna have to nail that flavor and my goodness i hope she does and if anything i hope she creates something that's even more iconic than the flavors that we have at the moment mm-hmm. and fizzy drinks and things like that yeah yeah and some of those little teasers and bombs that she dropped you know around like what some of them might be um uh, yeah yeah i'm excited to go to a tasting party and be like yeah all right let's see what we got here yeah same awesome all right what is it that people need to know this week Oh, goodness. I don't know. It's, it's that time of the year. We're not really thinking much, are we? You know, probably drinking too much, thinking a little too little. So actually, I dug up some fun food facts. Okay. And I just thought these, these were quite interesting. So anyway, we just had Christmas. Did you know that one in four hazelnuts ends up in Nutella? I did not. And that is weird. That's pretty crazy, isn't it? That's just, my mind immediately goes to exactly how many hazelnuts are being produced on the planet. Yeah, well, not enough, because that's what they're saying. There's not enough hazelnuts, because quarter of them go to Nutella. Not a hazelnut fan, so I'm quite happy for half of them to go there. But anyway, I also thought this was interesting. Who do you think is the biggest consumer of tea in the world? Uh, Okay, that's really tough, because... I want to say that it's going to be like country of origin, but then how do you say that? Because tea is popular in all of Southeast Asia, but then I also, you know, you have to kind of hat tip to the to the English. Can I just say you're way off base on both of those? Okay, is it? Please tell me that it, I. It's Turkey. Uh, well, I was going to say my next my next stop would be the Middle East. So yeah, yeah, Turkey is the biggest consumer of tea in the world. I thought that was amazing because you know, like they drink a lot of mint tea and stuff, but there's no actual tea in there. Mm. So anyway, uh, so what about coffee? Who do you think drinks the most coffee? I 
I just I know I'm going to get it wrong. Um, <laughs> well, that's what I'm asking you. That was the very point of the segment was for me to look amazingly worldly and bright and has amazing Google um, skills. And uh, uh, you are just completely in the dark sitting over there, especially when it comes to drink. Okay. Well, I would be tempted to say, I would also be tempted to say uh, Turkey, but... Um, I'm going to just go random. We're going to get it right now. No, 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 no. I'm going to say, uh, I'm just going to say Brazil. Actually, it is. Okay, I'm on the edge of my seat. Well, it's actually the Dutch drink the most coffee. Oh. Yeah. But... I don't think you would have got that. I mean, like, might have gone Germany, somewhere like that. I can't. The Dutch. Yeah. Mind you, I do know quite a few, no, I don't know quite a few Dutch people. The few Dutch people I know do drink a lot of coffee and I do know that they have quite a roasting, single origin, you know, the yep. hipster coffee bars. Yes. Yeah. They kind of took over the other sort of hipster bars that you can get in. See now, but I'm wondering, I'm wondering how they measure it. Okay. Oh, I'll be honest. So, pe- oh, are they didn't dive, dive into? Yeah. So, like, are they measuring it on it like a beans per capita, or is it just a volume per capita? Because if because if you think about it, like filter coffee yep. uses far less, and yeah. I mean maybe, yeah. but yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, back on to coffee. Did you know that it's the number one source of antioxidants for Americans? <laughs> well, that does not surprise me. <laughs> Oh my word! And and that apparently is what you need to know this week. But for everything else, you need to know food stories, food news, and uh, what's happening in our wild and wonderful world of New Zealand uh, food and beverage. Please head to thefeed.co.nz. Be sure to subscribe for our newsletter. And if you enjoyed this podcast, please uh, subscribe, rate, and review. We really appreciate all of your support. Uh, And we will see you next week, right on trend. 